This is not the end of this fight. This is just the beginning. And this is taking the cork off the bottle and it's going to go to the states. A lot of states have passed or in the process of passing different restrictions on abortion, which would have been previously illegal. Welcome to America in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. If you have not already, we ask you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast so you don't miss any new episodes of America in Focus. Now, here's your host, Dan McCaleb. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the America in Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Joining me today is Casey Harper, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Center Square. We're recording this on Friday, July 1st. It is Independence Day weekend, Casey. Any fireworks or parade in your future? Oh, yes, Dan. I'm a big Independence Day guy. Uh, Going all traditional. Burgers, swimming, the grill. We're going to be, me and some friends, actually my whole church is meeting on the National Mall to watch the big Washington, D.C. fireworks display that probably your tax dollars pay for every year, but I'll, I'll enjoy it every month. I'll think of you as I'm watching your your tax dollars go up in smoke, but it's a pretty cool show. There's a ton of people, a ton of traffic, but it's it's pretty cool. What about you? Uh, yeah, well, it, the, the the town I live in, the, the suburban Chicago town I live in, has its uh, annual um, 4th of July, excuse me, um, weekend festival this weekend. My wife and I will be going there enjoying some live music and, and good food and um uh fireworks are sunday night independence day mm. july 4th is monday but the fireworks are sunday night uh here so looking forward to it yeah as i forgot to tell you that in solidarity with um, our nation i'm going to be coming in at noon every day next week as an act of uh, patriotism hope that's okay mm. we'll have to uh we'll have to talk about that plan a little bit there Casey. Mm. yeah <laughs> i don't know that that's gonna work yeah All right. right. We actually have some news to talk about uh, uh, today, Um, Casey, in response to the uh, Supreme Court's uh, ruling last week overturning uh, Roe v. Wade and sending the issue of abortion rights back to the states. uh, President Joe Biden this week um, suggested that the uh, Senate should end the filibuster um, Mm -hmm. to pass uh, abortion rights laws via Congress. Um, but he got some pretty quick blowback for that. Tell us about this. Yeah, this uh, abortion issue, if you thought it was a Supreme Court issue, th- those days are over. I mean, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and said there's no constitutional right to an abortion, I said this on our last podcast. I said, this is not the end of this fight. This is just the beginning. And this is, you know, taking the cork off the bottle and it's going to go to the states, which is absolutely true. Um, a lot of states are, are already have passed or in the process of passing different um, restrictions on abortion, which would have been previously illegal. And so it's going to the states, but it's also heading to Congress. And uh, that's largely because President Joe Biden is feeling a lot of pressure from his base. You know, um, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been really vocal about this. Um, She is really a motivating, whipping up support among the base to do something on abortion, to stand against it. A lot of the more progressive members of the party are demanding by and do something and putting a lot of pressure on him. At the same time, Democrats are eager to change the narrative heading into a midterm election. Um, you know, right now, record high gas prices, uh, record high inflation, 
um, a struggling war in Ukraine on the heels of a chaotic and deadly withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. That's not a great narrative for the Democrats going in. So they're seeing, you know, from everything I've seen and uh, from their comments, they're seeing um, this abortion ruling as an opportunity to take a hard left on the narrative um, and make this election about abortion. That's their best hope, I think, of not having this be a referendum on the economy, which all the polling and experts suggest would be devastating for um, Democrats in the midterm. So that's what they're trying to do. That's kind of the landscape. So practically, you know, Biden is saying we need to pass federal law that codifies Roe v. Wade. Um, Now, to do that, they would need 60 uh, U.S. senators, right? Unless they overturn the filibuster, then they would just need a simple majority. Um, But we've already seen. So Biden, you know, he goes out, he gives a speech in Spain. He was an overseas trip. Um, related to Ukraine and other things. Um, and in Spain, uh, yesterday, he calls for this. And uh, we need to end the filibuster. He, he did this once before with voting rights. He said, we need to you know, do a carve out on the filibuster to pass something on voting rights. It's that important. Um, he gets on the plane. But before he's even landed in the U.S., uh, Senators uh, Kristen Sinema, Kirsten Sinema and um, Joe Manchin of Arizona. Both yeah, both Democrats of what you know, and uh, mansions from West Virginia, um, they already came out and said we're not doing that. They want to work with Republicans. They want to find a deal. You know, this they they're holding the line on the filibuster, and so this is kind of a familiar narrative, probably somewhat frustrating, probably for some Democrats. But I think you know, Manchin and, and Sinema are saying, hey, we need to think long term uh, on this because if we set a precedent for nuking the filibuster. Um, what happens to Republicans are back in charge. They can ramp through anything they want. So this is a big battle. It's not going anywhere. We're going to keep seeing this play out in the states. Um, I think it may be gridlocked, at least for now, in Congress. But Biden is going to keep getting pressure. He's meeting with um, governors today to see what they can do to make, you know, expand abortion access. But the, the Roe v. Wade decision of overturning did not end this battle. It just it sent it to every level of government and um, really increased the battle. Without ending the filibuster, let's say that it doesn't happen because you know two Democrats, the, as you mentioned, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, both said they're, they they oppose ending the filibuster. So let's say they do need sixty votes to codify something um, um, uh, allowing abortion across the country. Mm-hmm. What, what are the chances of that of, of Democrats reaching any kind of an agreement? They need ten Republicans. Is that right. possible? You know, it's totally. We're totally guessing, I think, because this issue has not really been put before um, members of Congress in such a specific way for, you know, literally decades. I mean, you know, there's been different discussions about things, but they've never really had to to get too specific on it because it was not possible to do much um, because of Roe v. Wade. So, you know, in some ways we're guessing, but my my read on it is I don't think anything's going to happen. You know, they can't come to agreements on much less controversial things, I think. You know, Democrats are wanting I don't think Democrats really want to do anything on this. I think they want to just use it to campaign against Republicans and get a lot of people to vote for them. November. You know, some issues, sadly, it often feels like lawmakers don't want to solve them because they're so useful in getting out, <laughs> getting out the vote. Republicans have their own issues. Democrats have theirs. So I don't think that there's a lot of motivation to actually do much among the whole party, especially because I think they know that nothing can happen. I mean, what Republican is going to is going to go against, you know, his party on this when it's such so motivating. And then I think, uh, you know, you might say, well, what if they agree to, to a certain number of weeks to allow abortion? But like, why would a 
you know, why would a Republican do that when he's he or she has got the the big victory in this? I mean, they the pro-lifers have a total victory. So they don't there's no motivation for them to work with Democrats because right now they have exactly what they want. Um, and that Republicans are probably better suited fighting these state battles. Sticking with the topic of abortion, ever since the uh, Supreme Court's draft opinion um, uh, in this case was leaked um, uh, almost a couple of months ago now, so six weeks or so ago, um, uh, uh, pro-life groups, churches, um, women's health care organizations that oppose abortion, they've been under attack, not just verbal attack, but um, uh, uh, actual violent attacks against them. The FBI right. says it's investigating these things, but many, uh, particularly Republicans, uh, question whether the FBI is being aggressive enough in, in uh, investigating these attacks. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke with the FBI for this story, and they did say they are investigating. They don't comment on a lot of congressional um, things like this, you know, in response to Republican lawmakers raising concerns. But, uh, you know, it hits this narrative of people don't trust federal law enforcement like they used to. There's been a lot of questions about partisanship within federal law enforcement. You think of like Lisa Page and Peter Strzok talking about they're going to take down Trump. And those kind of things have made people really see partisanship when the IRS was only targeting conservative groups, you know, so people, uh, <clears throat> Republican lawmakers are skeptical of these federal law enforcement agencies, federal agencies in general. And so they're, they're keeping a close eye on this. Uh, and it's a little bit of what about ism, but I, I think their argument is, you know, if these were, um, you know, if these were LGBT, uh, groups, or if these were, uh, pro-abortion clinics and, you know, every, um, federal agency would be having like a, a day of silence and, and be making this a top line for law enforcement priority. And they're saying, hey, we need to make sure these pregnancy clinics and pro-life groups get the same attention that a, a more uh, left-leaning group would. And so, you know, a lot, I talked to a lot of pro-life groups about this. They're really welcoming it. They're glad that um, Grassley, I think, you know, they're glad that Grassley has been, um, Senator Chuck Grassley has been focusing on this. And I'd be curious to toss it to you, Dave. One of the arguments that they made, we don't talk too much about the media or, or criticizing the media, but the common pro-life argument I heard talking to people is they feel like the media has not covered this as much as they should. So I'm, I'm kind of wary. It's easy to always, to always beat up the media. Um, but what is your, do you, do you feel that discrepancy? What's your read on that? Yeah. I, you know, it, it certainly doesn't lead CNN or MSNBC NBC daily or nightly mm -hmm. um, news newscasts. And if you, and I, I don't religiously watch CNN or MSNBC. I tune in, I look at their headlines, et cetera, see what they're writing about, see what the news is as they, as they see it. But it's rare to see uh, coverage of this kind of thing. So I, I think it's a valid point, uh, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think it's just, uh, I mean, I, I don't think anyone doubts the FBI is doing something, but it's like, hey, let's not let this get swept under a rug. This is something we're going to be following. And there's been, you know, more than 40 there's been arson attacks there's been broken windows there's been graffiti there's even been hackers um targeting you know pro states that have been passing abortion restrictions and so um this is something we're going to keep following but i do think it's interesting and we'll see if you know let's keep following the podcast if you know three months six months go by and the fbi hasn't really gotten anywhere i think that uh, you know we're going to be writing about that as well yeah, well, it's, uh, we've got to if the mainstream media it doesn't. So let's absolutely uh, do check-ins with the FBI yeah. if we yeah. don't hear any news about you know, yep. arrests or anything like like that. 
But another, the Supreme Court has, has been making news in recent weeks, um, Casey. Another, another very big uh, Supreme Court um, decision uh, this week that we covered at the Center Square it has to do with uh, the Environmental Protection Agency's regulatory authority. Um, the Supreme Court said that the EPA um, does not have the authority to broadly regulate uh, things like carbon emissions coming from uh, uh, coal uh, plants. Essentially, uh, the Supreme Court said that's Congress's job. That's not the EPA's job. Tell us about this ruling. Yeah, our intrepid reporter, Richie Malouf, covered this at the centersquare.com. He's doing a great job. I would say uh, this in some this is not exactly what it seems. Um, this is but this is a huge ruling. Uh, I think some people were surprised by this. It limits the EPA's power pretty significantly at a time when Many on the left are pushing the EPA to be much more aggressive on climate change, on regulating oil industries, um, different things like that. I'm pushing, uh, you know, clean energy alternatives, all of that. What's what's interesting um, here is the Supreme Court is not so much in my mind. I don't think they're so much targeting the EPA as they are. And of of course, that's how, how it feels. And it does have that effect. But they are saying, hey, Congress, you're you have this habit. And this is true. You have this habit of giving kind of a, a vague um, direction and several billion, you know, hundred billion dollars or something uh, to an agency. And then they just kind of take it from there and do whatever they want. And so we've transitioned in this in this country, like in the last hundred years to where so much of what is being done in the government is doing by, you know, nameless, faceless bureaucrats is being done by federal agencies. They're making their own rules. They're uh, passing them. You know, Congress can't even repeal many of these federal agencies rules if it's been more than a certain number of days. And so the, what I think the Supreme court is saying is they're reining in all federal agencies that have taken this power and said, Hey, Congress has given us the keys to the kingdom and we can do whatever we want. Um, and they're saying, well, not, not quite. You can do only what Congress told you you can do. And this really does hit on the problem. So much of Congress's power, they have just delegated to these agencies, de- delegated to the executive branch. Um, they're not making specific laws about what should be done. They're just saying, we delegate this much money to create an agency that will then later decide what we should do. And so I think this time the EPA overstepped their authority. And it'd be interesting to see how this might affect other agencies that could be perceived as overstepping the authority in the same way. And and, and conservatives, strict constitutionalists have been arguing for years, decades, um, that um, these agencies, such as the EPA, they're, they're not lawmakers. They weren't elected by uh, uh, the people. And they shouldn't have such broad powers to regulate individuals and businesses and whatnot. So this is essentially the Supreme Court adhering strictly to the U.S. Constitution and what powers it grants the executive branch, the congressional branch, et cetera, um, and, and saying, hey, uh, this, uh, this has been going on too long. Congress needs to write laws not the uh, Environmental Protection Agency or any of these other administrative branches mm-hmm. of government. So I, I agree. This is a this, this, this is a broad reaching opinion that could have ramifications across uh, the executive branch. Yeah. Any congressional, you know, any federal uh, rule you want to challenge, you can point to this and say, hey, Congress didn't say you could do this and you can challenge it. And I think that's what we're going to see happen. So, you know, who knows how successful that'll be. And I think, you, you know, they won't let them take that too far. But if you're um, a business interest and you feel like you're being overregulated, this could be your your in 
to challenge that rule in the Supreme Court. Let's let's turn to the economy, uh, Casey. Of course, we we've, we've talked a lot on American Focus. We've covered uh, inflation and record high gas prices a lot at thecentersquare.com. Um, a new report released yesterday by the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis uh, reported that 46 of the 50 U.S. states uh, saw a, a decline in gross domestic product in the first quarter of the year. Tell us about that, and what does it mean? That's not good. And uh, it's uh, overall, the U.S. saw a 1.6% decrease in GDP. And actually, you know, you could you could make the argument now that we officially are in a recession. But we had back to back quarter, you know, we've had such a if the GDP shrinks, you know, uh, are you in a recession? I mean, it's pretty interesting. And so with these next when the next GDP numbers come out, if they're as bad, too, I mean, two quarters of poor GDP is definitely um, recession territory. So overall, the uh, in the first three months of this year, the U.S. GDP decreased by one point six percent. As you said, 46 states um, saw their GDP decrease only four. Um, saw it increase and those who saw it increase were, you know, it was um, minor. The increases, you know, if you live in these states, you can pat yourself on the back. Michigan, um, you know, Vermont saw a, saw an increase. And so uh, overall, though, you know, we see like Alaska was a negative 8.2% um, on GDP. I mean, some of these numbers are, are pretty bad. California, um, negative uh, 1%. I know, I know we have a lot of Illinois listeners, negative 2.5%. Um, GDP in Illinois. Uh, so North Dakota, negative 6.3%. I'm just throwing some of these out. Wyoming's 9.7%. These are some pretty big numbers. And I, if you see your GDP decrease by almost 10% in one, in three months, I mean, that is pretty significant. There's a few reasons for this. Part of it is a drop off from just the huge infusion of federal spending that we saw last year that has caused you know some of the inflation we're experiencing. Um, you, you know, once you stop spending that money, you're going to see the drop off uh, in a way. Some of that growth is kind of artificial because it's just propped up by um, by federal money. You know, another thing that we found in, in this uh, economic analysis is that Americans saw a decrease in their savings account and their disposable income in those three months. So this is, just, you know, GDP is some big numbers. Like, what does it really mean? You know, OK, the size of the economy decreased, but how does that impact me? It's like, well the average American's savings account is smaller than it was at the beginning of this year. And they have less disposable income in their budget than they did at the beginning of January. Right. We are now it's July 1st. We're recording this on July 1st. So we are now in the third quarter Mm -hmm. of the calendar year. So in the coming weeks, uh, we'll probably start seeing, you know, reports about second quarter figures. Yeah. And if, if GDP shrinks in the second quarter, isn't that the definition of a recession? Two quarters in a row of a shrinking yep. economy? It is. Yeah. Then that's kind of a technical definition, which is, uh, you know, we've talked about the political implications, of this, but it's ill-timed if you're a Democrat in a swing district um, in the House because you are hitting a official recession, um, you know, less than six months before Election Day. So. Um, this is going to be really interesting, but it, it's, it's got the political implications. It's got overall economic recession implications, and it's got, you know, individual implications for the, the bank accounts of regular people. Well, sticking with the, with the economy and how it's impacting, uh, Americans, um, as we talked about, we're in 40 year high, uh, inflation, the cost mm-hmm. of everything. Of course, we hit record highs in June for gas, um, prices. They have since 
come down a little bit, although not that uh, much, still flirting with the national average of $5 a gallon gasoline, but the cost of food, all groceries, clothing, everything, services um, are up. A new poll shows um, uh, that the vast majority of Americans are cutting back on their personal spending because of the high cost. Yeah, this is one of the the trending stories on our website, thestonesquare.com. And Provident Bank, which is based in New Jersey, they released this report, which found that about 83% of those surveyed have cut back on their personal spending because of higher prices, inflation, right? 83%. So that's just about, I guess that's just about everybody. You you, you can't get 83% of people to, to agree on anything. Yeah, I mean, is the way that polls are, there's always going to be people who just always say no or yes to any poll. So if you ask people, you know, do you like Santa Claus, you're going to get 10, 5 or 10% who say no. I mean, it's just, you know, it's uh, really hard. And it's, you never get 100% on anything. So these are these are really high numbers. Another noteworthy number is 23% say they have made drastic changes to their spending. I mean, that's one in four people have had a drastic, what they call a drastic change to their life. Um, since Biden took office because of these higher polls. And so people are doing things like eliminating non-essential purchases. They're not traveling um, like they thought they were. And, you know, gas prices are a big part of it. Um, but the price of everything is more expensive. So uh, the, the the group said that in addition to gasoline, groceries, clothing, respondents named baby products, meat, utilities, household goods, milk, and alcohol is adding uh, the most to their monthly bills. And so this isn't like, you know, new cars and vacations that people are struggling with or that are given a problem. This is milk. This is baby formula. This is utilities. This is filling up your car. So um, this is everyday stuff. This isn't just the luxuries of life. People are feeling this and they're having to make, you know, what they call drastic cutbacks just to make ends meet. And when Americans stop spending money because uh, because of that, that has widespread implications for the economy as whole. We just talked about GDP uh, declined in the first quarter. If Americans curb their spending uh, to a certain degree, that's that, that that's going to affect small businesses, um, the wider economy. So it doesn't bode well. No, I mean, it just does a ripple effect. Like, you know, we just talked about how this poll talks about how many Americans are cutting down their travel. That's one of the first things to go. So if you have any kind of travel industry or a business that helps people travel or um, you, you know, you operate some kind of Airbnb or cottage on a mountain, I mean, anything that you, anyone who works in the travel industry now is going to suffer. Right. And so that's just one example of how it runs downhill. If there's less travel, there's less money for your business, but that, that impacts everything. When people can only buy the essentials, uh, they don't have that disposable income. Uh, every, every, all the things um, outside of that are going to suffer because the money can't flow to them. And time for one more uh, story, uh, Casey. And this one's a, a little bit of a disturbing one. As states across the U.S. have um, have been uh, legalizing um, recreational uh, marijuana, a new study uh, came out that you reported on about the effects, particularly on younger uh, uh, Americans. What's what? Is, what has that study found? Yeah, this is an extreme is a really, really interesting study. Um, as you said, you know, states around the country have been lo- loosening restrictions, decriminalizing, doing different things over the last decade or so. And the Drug Free um, America Foundation, uh, along the, with this group called Johnny's Ambassadors, they they did they commissioned the study. They wanted to look at all 50 states. It's wide ranging and say, what have been the effects um, of these laws? And so before I kind of share it, I'll say it's kind of hard to say, you know, what is causation 
what actually is responsible for what you, it, to, to make a one to one connection. It's not always easy. But what they found is that states that have loosened restriction on marijuana have seen um, more mental health problems among teenagers. So you can't say for sure that this state is having more mental health problems with teenagers 100% because they have allowed more access to marijuana. But it's really interesting that that there is that correlation and that it's, you know, across multiple states. It's not just, you know, one county or something. This is a 50-state study. And uh, when you talk about the health impacts of marijuana, it's pretty controversial. And some people, you know, you claim to use it for uh, medicinal purposes and all that. but um, there, there's been a lot of studies that show, have shown that, you know, using, um, THC products increases your risk of psychosis and all kinds of mental um, health issues. Now they'll, they'll, there's been some studies that have not really found a strong link there. And when you look at, you know, the national Institute of health on this, they say that there have been studies, but not all show it and more research needs to be done, but there definitely have been studies that have found mental health problems, um, for people who consume a lot of marijuana. And so, uh, this is a wide ranging study and it found that it's impacting teens and teens are among the most vulnerable from the experts I talked to one, because they're most vulnerable to the marketing for these things. Right. Uh, and two, because their brains are still developing. Um, you know, I think the male brain, uh, which won't, won't surprise many of our female listeners, the male brain, I think isn't done with developing till like the age of 25. <laughs> so the, uh, you know, these get these teens who are, using these products, they're, they're especially vulnerable to the impacts. And so at least now we're seeing a strong, what could be a linkage between allowing legalization of marijuana and real health consequences um, for teens. And one thing I toss this to you, Dan, but I found it really interesting. This study came out right after um, Juul was banned um, by the FDA from the markets, which is, you know, vaping, nicotine, uh, things. And the main, one of the main reasons that Juul has been in controversies because of teenagers using vapes. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, Juul can be banned, but uh, marijuana is still okay across the country. It's just an interesting um, fact point. Yeah, and the, the FDA has uh, uh, received widespread criticism uh, for that. Uh, yes, teens shouldn't be vaping, but it's vaping is uh, better than smoking cigarettes, um, for example, when, when it comes to your physical um, health, but but definitely interesting and definitely something particularly parents uh, need to be aware of. Um, um, uh, uh, again, we're the legalization of uh, weed in America is still relatively in its infancy. You know, some states, Colorado, it's been legal now for almost uh, uh, a decade. Um, uh, other states are just now doing it, but it's it's something parents need to to pay attention to um, because, it, it, according to this study at least, um, there may be some correlation uh, to teen uh, smoking marijuana and these increased mental health issues. But Casey, that's all the time we have this week for our listeners. You can find all of the Center Squares podcasts at americastalking.com. Take a look, please subscribe. There is no cost. Um, This has been the America in Focus podcast. For Casey Harper, I'm Dan McCaleb. Uh, Happy Independence Day weekend, Casey and our listeners. We'll talk to you next week.